0: This is the Building Management Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale.
1: As people become more comfortable in the home building automation space, they wanna be able to take this commercial as well. We're starting to ask that question, where is my water coming from and what's the quality of it?
2: While we are not recession-proof, it is a recession-insulated industry, so that regardless of the ups and downs in the stock market, if these manufacturers, these plants, and these entities want to stay
0: open, they need water. Renovation's complete. Let's enter the building. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Building Management Podcast. My name is Tyler Kern. I will be your host today. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. Today's episode is going to be about space, so underutilized space that is all around us. So rather than sitting on their hands, creative building managers are rolling up their sleeves nowadays and finding ways to put space that is underutilized to work for them. So uh, we're seeing a trend where people are opening co-working spaces in a restaurant during slow hours. Maybe during the day, let's say the restaurants only open Uh, For dinner at night. So during the day, utilizing that space for a co-working space rather than letting it sit open all day, uh, not being used. So creative building managers are really finding new ways to utilize this space that's all around them. Uh, So on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to talk to two people who are on the forefront of this movement. Our market scale correspondent, Sean Heath, is going to talk to Gary Cookland from the commercial division of the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And they're going to talk about creative repurposing and creative reuse of spaces uh, for many different Purposes. so maybe we'll see an old mall get turned into a school for kids or something along those lines. It's an interesting trend of seeing uh, places that are no longer being utilized for their original purpose being repurposed into something different that can still be beneficial. Then we're also going to have a conversation with Michael Rosa of Agora RDM, and he's a co-working space expert. And he's going to talk about how co-working spaces can really fill that void in locations that aren't traditionally thought of as an office. So I used the example earlier of a restaurant. He has another awesome example of how a yoga studio transforms itself into a co-working space during the day. It's a really great example you're going to. to hear uh, how he describes that process and how they go about making money from that and subsidizing part of their rent as a result so uh, it's a really interesting topic today just about how creative building managers are using the space at their disposal to help their bottom line so i think it's going to be a fascinating show today here on the building management podcast that's enough from me let's get to that first feature of the day featuring our correspondent sean heath talking to gary Cucklin from the commercial division of the berkshire hathaway home services
2: Welcome to the Building Management Podcast on Market Scale. I'm your host, Sean Heath. You know, as real estate and retail and all the industries across the country uh, continue to evolve and change and, and are affected by the online world that we find ourselves living in in, a, in an ever-increasing percentage of our daily lives... There are a lot of lessons that can be learned when we look at existing infrastructure, existing uh, procedures. A Council Bluffs school district in Iowa has decided that one of the lessons that could be learned just might be middle school biology. Today I have the opportunity to have a conversation with Gary Cooklin. He's an associate broker, the commercial division of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. First off, Happy New Year, Gary. How are you today?
3: I'm doing great, and Happy New Year to you, Sean.
2: Now, um, there is an ongoing uh, process in the United States of adaptive reuse. Is that a a new trend? Not being a real estate agent or broker
3: myself, I don't have enough information about this. Well, it's a new trend, but it's happening, a fairly new trend, I should say, but it's happening at a more urgent rate for all of those indoor malls across the United States that just have a lot of space um, and they just need to actually go out into the marketplace and try to find people that maybe they haven't talked to or looked at before to be somebody to take over those spaces. Um, You're like with all the Yonkers across the United States that went belly up. the problem is is that you have 150 to 250,000 square feet now at all of these malls that's completely empty nobody to fill them and it seems like there's a bit of a
2: stigma associated with corporate designed freestanding buildings for example there are quite a few empty old school Taco Bells across the United States with the, you know, with the the terracotta roof and that design. Right. But it's a perfectly functional space. You just have to get over the being locked into the fact that, oh, it looks like it was designed, you know, back in the 70s. Ultimately, is that starting to become a more acceptable thought process in that, for example, we need a building. I don't care if it looks like an old Dunkin' Donuts. We need a building, and this is perfect, and the location's great. There's an awful lot of factors that go into that when you start, um, as a broker, when you start trying to find out what a customer wants, right?
3: That's correct. One of the situations that you end up with is that somebody starts out, and they say, oh, I want this many square feet. I want this kind of a look in my building. And then you start looking at well okay here's what's available on the market and now let's see what your pocketbook is able to pay for so a lot of times those older buildings the ones that are a little past their prime because of the landlords lowering the rent they're now more uh, desirable by the client and they can um, end up doing what they want to do inside the building and have an opportunity to Um, please their bottom line and also their shareholders sometimes in those situations.
2: So I started out today talking about the school district in Iowa that has decided to repurpose a former Target um, into a middle school. And I'm very curious, just a couple of general questions. Would a building such as that specific Target already have some of the infrastructure necessary to handle cafeteria facilities?
3: Yes, the most all-target buildings have a little lunch area uh, where they were selling hot dogs and popcorn and and soda. And, of course, you have the restrooms that are in the uh, structure. So you have all of the plumbing and all of the infrastructure as far as utilities are already there. It's just a matter of tapping into it. But this this situation was a little unique in that um, not only did they have – the utilities there for their lunchroom, but we had 91,000 square feet of space that would allow them to put in their physical education area, put in their uh, 60 school rooms and do everything that they, they need to do while they're refurbishing two different middle schools.
2: Now, the school district purchased this building. They're not just leasing it or, or renting it,
3: right? No, that was the interesting thing. They came through originally looking to lease space for a couple of years. And then once they had their architect get back to them and find out that, oh, it's going to be $1.8 to $1.9 million to retrofit this building with everything they need to take care of 1,000 you know kids and teachers and bus drivers and all the people. Uh, people that make a school run, um, they said, well, wow, after we spend this money in four years, now we've updated and upgraded this building, why don't we just go ahead and purchase it? And that's when the negotiation started with our landlord, and they decided, uh, they purchased the building for $1.9 million, and that allowed them to, or will allow them to go in, completely do everything they want to do. And now, once they're finished, they're able to you know, make it a trade school, make it adult education, um, offer it or lease it to other entities that may want to um, use the space for educational purposes.
2: Now, I have to say, this is the first story that I've actually read where... This happened. I have not. I do not recall any other story where a school district purchased a a defunct building to use it as a temporary space uh, for an educational facility. Let me ask you this question. Uh, is that does did that specific instance require any type of changes in, say, zoning?
3: Yes, it did. Actually, um, we have an 80 acre mall and we have a 750,000 square foot facility it has actually a dark Sears store which was 80,000 square feet a dark JC Penney's which is 50,000 square feet and this Target which is the 91,000 square feet but everything all the out parcels the McDonald's everything that's there is all geared and zoned for retail and so the uh, city council had to approve a zoning change to put in the the word school Uh, as far as a a variant so that it was allowed for them to put in a school. And I'd like to add that not only is this the first time I ever heard about a school, as you were mentioning, uh, obtaining a building, a retail building to put into school, but we actually happen to have an old Kaplan University that had uh, 30,000 square feet at the mall. And we have the Iowa Department of Transportation and a large uh, worldwide uh, engineering firm called HDR that have uh, teamed up and they've been redoing the interstate 80 uh, section between Des Moines and going into Omaha, which has been a five-year project. And so they've been there five years and renewed for another five years. So here's a university educational setting actually in our mall. So now we've got two, you know, kind of two school settings that are ending up being used for different purposes. So,
2: Well, let's expand upon that a little bit, but I will avoid the cheap and very easy joke of this is perfect because kids always want to go to the mall. I'll avoid that, (laughs) although in avoiding it, I didn't avoid it. But moving on, Um, do you see a possibility of creating, uh, taking all of those dark stores and creating a through K-12 educational campus? That seems to me like that, that might make some sense.
3: Well, there's kind of two thoughts there. I have had some uh, inquiries from some other brokers representing large Fortune 500 companies that have thought about purchasing the entire mall and uh, turning it into a disaster recovery area. Um, so in other words, they could put in a data center in that uh, mall and have a live, live situation. So every keystroke that's going on and wherever they're located, they would have you know that keystroke being um, um, taken place at the mall. And in the event there's some kind of a situation in the city they're located in, um, they could come out to the mall and they'd already have desks and telephones and everything already set up uh, and be in business immediately. Uh, I've also had some people that have looked at uh, just completely taking it over as an educational campus. Um, so, yeah, there are some people that are out there that are looking at different ways to maximize the, the space. But um, nobody's moved forward on our yet at this point in time.
2: And you mentioned the possibility of, of putting a trade school in there. It seems that you already have a couple of real life prototypical trade school environments that already exist. Uh, there's food service. There's retail there. It seems like there are. There might be a way to create a partnership between the school district and the retail outlets, restaurants that are in that mall uh, to create a symbiotic relationship um, without having to go and build a separate center. It also seems to me that going down this path of repurposing existing physical buildings Might save Google an awful lot of money, not that they're hurting for money, but instead of building a new spaceship campus or the fifth Amazon headquarters, you can take over and repurpose an existing structure. Sure, it's not as fancy, but fiscally, it seems like it makes much more sense.
3: Well, I would agree with you. It's it's interesting. I mean, we have two different power systems going into the mall. We have uh, Cox Cable has got two different redundant hubs for fiber optics. So, you know, the infrastructure is already there. It just takes somebody that's willing to, I guess, be forward thinking instead of looking at it as a a mall that's a little tired, um, looking at it as, hey, this is a great opportunity because we've got great bones that we're not going to have to spend $150 a square foot to go build we can maybe acquire it for forty dollars um, a square foot and have a cost savings and spend that money to just do some upgrading plus when you have a mall you have essentially kind of unlimited parking where the problem is how many times have you gone into a strip center and you want to walk into the sprint store or somewhere and you've got to park way out at the street and walk all the way you know in or maybe you can't find a parking spot where here at the mall you have a lot to choose from. Plus you're indoor. That's one of the big things. If you're in Florida going to a strip centers, you know, it's a a normal occurrence, but in the wintertime in the Midwest, you still have a lot of people that, you know, they don't want to be out in the elements and they're not going to go shopping uh, somewhere where they maybe aren't protected. So that adds another potential attribute for wanting to be um, at a, at a, at a mall, at a shopping mall. But I think the biggest problem is, uh, Sean, as you know, they used to have what they called the cottage industry, where everybody was, you know, they came up with an idea, they were making it in their basement, they were making it in their garage. And then they said, Oh, you know, I'm big enough now that I'm going to go get a retail space and, and go sell it out on the street. And so a lot of storefronts were getting these people that went from the cottage industry to small retailers. And then if they really had a great idea, then they ended up franchising and, you know, growing and and uh, doing as they normally did. But with the internet now and with online purchasing, I mean, everybody that was a cottage industry type business, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people that were doing it and moving from the, the home to a strip center or a shopping mall, they're moving it to Amazon and they are doing everything online and they're using Amazon's distribution center for all of the billing and the invoicing and and uh, shipping and receiving and, and everything. So it's really, that's another reason that I'm sure you know um, when you talk to other people about how many retailers are going dark, how many chains that were really hot three, four, five years ago are like off the map.
2: Well, for the last question today, I want to try and minimize the flood of emails and phone calls that you're about to get from all around the country. Um, And just give me one or two insights from this particular process that you think facility managers around the country could benefit from if they're willing to look at things in a little different way?
3: Well, I think basically facility managers just have to try to work with local brokers uh, that are in their area and to network with the chambers of commerce that uh, and economic development departments that are out there trying to bring industries into the different uh, areas, cities, states, and there's a lot of people that none of us have thought about. Uh, facility managers haven't really thought about because they're, you know, it's kind of a little bit like tunnel vision. They're just so busy and they're getting so many phone calls from their existing uh, clients and tenants that they don't have time to dream. And so they really just need to to just be aware of anything that's going on around them and contacting the, professionals that are trying to bring uh, money into the marketplace.
2: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, and it has been my privilege.
0: Special thanks to Sean Heath for that piece there. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Mike LaRosa. We're going to answer the question, how can building managers best utilize the space that they have? And co-working spaces are really providing an intriguing answer to that question. And he joined to talk about how businesses are using space that's underutilized at certain points of the day to set up co-working spaces in them uh, to help the bottom line and maybe help them pay rent or something along those lines. So I used the example earlier of a restaurant, and uh, Mike LaRosa is going to use the example of a yoga studio. Both of these places have slow times during the day of business. So let's say there's a restaurant that doesn't serve lunch or anything like that. So it just has a lot of open space with a lot of tables. Tables available during the day Well then that restaurant can actually open up And become a co-working space All you need is a little Wi-Fi, some power outlets And maybe some free coffee And people will be there and pay to be there uh, For a co-working space So it's a really interesting concept He's also going to flesh out that example of the yoga studio Which I think is absolutely fascinating All of that is coming up next here on the Market Scale Building Management Podcast Joining me now on the Building Management Podcast for his second appearance on the show is Mike Larosa. He's the co-founder of Agora RDM. Mike, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back.
0: Absolutely. So we're we're doing the second in a, a second part in a series on co-working spaces. And last time we just kind of did a general overview, but today we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about a specific avenue of co-working spaces. But before we get into all of that, Mike. Let's just give people a quick refresher on what co-working spaces are and uh, how exactly they're used.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, uh, co-working spaces are facilities that provide uh, office space, meeting rooms, Wi-Fi, more often than not, uh, free-flowing coffee. Uh, For anyone that either uh, works remotely and doesn't want to work from home uh, or is a freelancer and is kind of tired of uh, fighting for an outlet at their local cafe um, or needs to just have a little bit more of a professional uh, atmosphere for a meeting.
0: Absolutely. So it, it, it's a really, um, it's an idea that's really caught on a lot in recent years that uh, has really exploded into more of the forefront, uh, especially as millennials and other uh, younger generations have kind of started to uh, go freelance a little bit more often and that sort of thing. And for to hear more about that, uh, you can go check out Mike's previous uh, appearance on the Building Management Podcast, where we dive a lot into just the basics of co-working spaces and that sort of thing. But today, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, one of the more intriguing aspects of co working spaces, and that's the ability to utilize a space not necessarily intended as a workspace. Uh, and Mike, I'm, w- I'm wondering if you could just flesh that out a little bit more uh, and give us some concrete examples of what exactly uh, I'm, I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, th- this is my favorite type of co working space. Um, so, you know, the idea of having these business centers or Office spaces. Uh, It's been around for about 30 years. Most people will be familiar with the traditional Regis, um, uh, kind of the more uh, professional white collar design space, you know, a lot of oak and boardrooms and kind of paintings. Uh, About 10 years ago, a lot more of these spaces were being opened by that younger millennial customer, uh, as you referenced, or a freelancer, uh, or maybe a a graphic designer that owned a studio and needed to supplement their rent, right, by renting out some of their empty desks. Um, This kind of really happened in 2008-2009, during the middle of the economic downturn. And so, uh, as more and more people have gotten accustomed to to the idea of sharing space, and you know, saying, "Oh, I can have a business and not have to have my own address or my own building or my own lease." You know, I can just rent a small office. Um, a lot of other players have really kind of woken up and been like, "Well, holy cow, I've got a lot of underutilized space." In my property or a lot of underutilized space that I'm paying rent for, um, I can supplement my revenue and and kind of subsidize my rent uh, by renting out my space as well.
0: Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Just uh, making sure that you're making the most of the spaces that you have. Uh, and, and I know that on our previous episode, you, you brought up the, uh, the example of potentially uh, a restaurant even using a uh, space that they have during the day uh, when it's not as busy as it might be at night using part of their restaurant space as uh, a co-working space. And I think that that's a really cool example. What are some other ways that people have done this uh, that you've seen that you think have been particularly successful?
1: Yeah. But besides the the restaurants, which it, it's really exciting to see how there's a couple different options. There's, you know, one company out there called Cowork Cafe that kind of designs the framework, right, of what a restaurant owner needs mm-hmm. to, to be able to have it. There's also an app called Spacious, which uh, kind of goes one step farther and they Actually, bring the customers to the restaurant, right? And they're a booking platform no different than Airbnb. Um, an exciting project that uh, I got to work on, probably this was way back in 2015, was a yoga studio. Um, and so you might be thinking, that's uh, kind of crazy, but if you, if you just Stick with me. You'll see how it worked out. This yoga studio, they opened up in a gentrifying neighborhood in Washington, D.C. And they were doing gangbusters, right? Always sold out, needed more room. So what they did is they got a second studio around the corner. Nicer, newer, bigger. Their customer base supported both spaces and, excuse me, both locations – holding classes in both the morning and the evening. But in the middle of the day, they consolidated and only had classes at the new location. So this meant that the the, the original location was empty, pretty much between 9.30 and 4 p.m. And what was funny was that there were yoga uh, members that were maybe hanging out a little bit longer after that last morning class, trying to like sit in the lobby, getting some Wi-Fi because maybe the Starbucks across the street was a really small location. They they couldn't find somewhere to work or the whole foods next door was pretty crowded. And so what they did was that the name of the yoga studio is flow yoga. They created a program called workflow. And so if you wanted to, you could, very affordably add to your all you can yoga membership and you could work during the day. And so they would clear out the yoga studio. I mean, there's really nothing that you need for yoga besides mats. They had some tables and chairs and even uh, like foldable lap desks. So people could, you know, practice their uh, posture while sitting on the floor. They upgraded their wifi. Um, and they even did these little slight tweaks where the changing rooms that used to be like, you know, two or three rooms with cloth, they swapped them out and they they built them, uh, you know, out of drywall. So the yoga changing rooms uh, also uh, worked as phone booths. And so not only were they able to increase their average monthly spend for their existing customer base. They brought in new customers because for 40 bucks, not only did you get to work for the day, they also threw in a class. So you could take a class that day if you worked there, which was already valued at 30 bucks. And so uh, they, they had great success with it.
0: That's an incredible example of just creatively using the space that you have uh, in a way that, uh, that benefits you in multiple different ways. I think that's really incredible. Uh, one of the questions I have is, how would a place like that uh, be staffed? Would they just simply use the people that are already there working uh, as you know, people that work at a yoga studio? Or do they bring in people specifically uh, suited to, to work in a, in a co-working space to staff out the, the people needed to make that happen?
1: That's actually the, the best part. They already had the staff. And so uh, they just needed to kind of slightly train and educate uh, their employees on what co-working was, um, get them kind of up on how to describe it and how to answer kind of, you know, those basic frequently asked questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were able to add a whole separate revenue stream. Really without having to incur any additional costs, you know they were or they already had someone on salary you know they already had the space they were already paying the, 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 the rent. Um, you know all they needed to do was just uh, put in a, a new uh, more improved uh, uh, access point for Wi-Fi um, and buy some desks and chairs. It was a, a pretty minimal investment on their part.
0: Now, this sounds pretty incredible and I'm sure that there are a number of, uh, of people listening to this right now that have dollar signs just flashing in their eyes. What are some, what are some concerns maybe or just uh, things that you would caution people uh, before they immediately jumped in and, and you know, converted their space into part-time at least being a co-working space? What are some things that people just need to think through uh, before they jump in with both feet?
1: Um, I-, I think the most important uh, thing with anything in life is just intention. Right. Why are you doing it? And uh, not only why are you doing it, but how are you going to do it? Um, You know, for the folks that we worked with at Flow Yoga, they weren't necessarily trying to make more money right? They weren't just doing it because they had the dollar signs in their eyes. They were doing it because they saw that there was already kind of a pent up demand. People were already asking if they could just hang out a little longer after class. Uh, But they were also really interested in the secondary benefits of how uh, fostering that sense of workspace community could help promote the company, not necessarily in an immediate ROI in you know dollars and cents, but you know just overall how they could you know provide this to the neighborhood in that specific part in D- of DC. Um, at the time, there wasn't really any other workspace option, so I, I think that anyone. Uh, who just thinks, oh, I can just drop in tables and chairs. You, you really have to kind of give it a second thought. They had an inherent community, right? They had a really active, engaged customer base. Um, and they were trying just to, to diversify and you know, help the bottom line by also providing a, a service. At the end of the day, this is what we like to say, space as a service. And so you have to be sure... That not only are you uh, delivering what you are selling, but that you're you're doing so in in a, a manner that you know is, is basic hospitality. You have to have that element of you know uh, someone being attentive and uh, take you know taking care of the customer's
0: needs. So you you mentioned earlier just how. Um how the yoga space, uh, had a, uh, a payment structure and, and how they went about, um, you know, c- kind of charging, I-, I suppose, uh, rent isn't the right word, but, but how they, how they went about getting money for, um, uh, from their clients for this particular, uh, co-working space. What are some other models and how have you seen people, um, create a payment structure so that they are profitable from this?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think the the best example for, for that would be, taking a look at what the hotel industry is doing right now Um, brands all over the world are quote-unquote dropping in co-working spaces into their existing properties for a multitude of reasons Um, if you take a look at the w hotel in london they've recently partnered with haus h-a-u-s they have empty restaurant space, so it was kind of like a hybrid of the restaurant and kind of you know needing to bring in more revenue in in the hotel property. Where that old restaurant is now pretty much a, a co working space. But uh, there's another hotel, uh, it, the Trip by Wyndham in Dubai, that they literally designed a co working space in the property to supplement uh, additional revenue streams uh, by providing once again, an an upcharge, right? And so not only are they bundling what they call, the the space is called Nest, but they're bundling a rest and nest package for corporate travel. And so if you have to go to Dubai and you have to stay in a hotel anyway, it's really difficult to find office space, uh, especially if you've been to Dubai, holy cow, that city is really spread out on this one massive highway, right? And so um, if you're trying to take meetings, if you can't work on client sites, it's a lot easier for corporate travel to say, oh, well, we'll just pay a little bit more. And we know that our employees not only have a place to stay, but they also have a place to work. Um, and then it was also taking a look at like, okay, in that specific location of Dubai in this Barsha Heights neighborhood, it was located right next to uh, Tecom or Media City. There's a lot of freelancers and a lot of folks that live in that area. It's, it's, a, it's a true blend of residential and commercial. And so they were trying to increase the food and beverage sales just by having more local foot traffic. And so, you know, we worked with them to design membership pricing And also benefits and perks that meant that not only were they going to get a great workspace, but they were also getting 20% off any food and beverage. So they were more likely to say, hey, why don't you come meet me for a lunch meeting at the hotel? I'll, you know, we'll have lunch downstairs um, rather than going somewhere else. Um, And, you know, we kind of got really creative and took it to the next level to help them get competitive and say, hey, instead of trying to, you know, uh, do a sale right and and lower your value by saying, Oh, here's twenty percent off for signing a three month membership. We were able to leverage the power of those loyalty programs and say, Hey, if you sign for a three month membership, we'll also give you ten thousand Wyndham points, which is good for one night at any Wyndham in the world. So it's really exciting to see how all these different businesses are getting really creative with how they are you know kind of customizing and create you know coming up with how co-working works for their bottom line
0: yeah i really enjoy hearing more about how places are creatively using their spaces and i think that that's a really exciting development that we are seeing that is mike larosa the co-founder of agora rdm mike thank you so much for joining me on the building management podcast
1: yeah my pleasure thanks for having me
0: All right, thanks again to Mike LaRosa of Agora RDM for joining me for the podcast this week. Unfortunately, that's all we have for this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed this look at how building managers are able to creatively use space, whether it's repurposing an old building that's no longer being used for its original purpose, or it's a co-working space that's opened up in uh, an area not typically thought of as an office, like a yoga studio or a restaurant. I hope you enjoyed just this, uh, this creative look at how people are using space to the best of their abilities and really maximizing that space's potential. If you enjoyed this content, we have a lot more just like it over at Marketscale.com slash industries. There you can follow the building management uh, podcasts and articles that are coming out on a daily basis. You can also browse around, and find some other industries that you're interested in. We have a lot of content just like this across 14 different industries. Uh, so there's a lot of information there at your fingertips available to uh, industry thought leaders such as yourselves. Also think about sharing this around to other uh, colleagues, friends, relatives, anybody in the industry that you think might enjoy a show like this one, uh, please feel free to share it there as well and leave us a nice review and a like there on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast today. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode of the Building Management Podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.